1: Good, uh, good morning. Uh, this is uh, School Law Today, Conversations on New Jersey Education. It's a program designed to give us uh, 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 information on school law topics in New Jersey. Uh, today's, I think, is very uh, apropos. It's called uh, The First Amendment Rights of Students. And joining me on this program, uh, let me just back up. If you want to participate you want to ask a question, you can go to our chat room. You have to register with Blog Talk Radio, but there is no fee for that. And you can just register and type in your question and I'll get it on to our guest or if you want to call you can call 1-347-989-8904 1-347-989-8904 and just press 1 and Mike who's working our switchboard will get the topic to me and then I will call on you Uh, as I said before it's uh, the first amendment right of our students in our schools Uh, with us to discuss that is uh, Will Donio our partner with the law firm of Cooper Levinson. Uh, Welcome, Will.
0: Thank you, Ray. Glad to be here.
1: Uh, Glad to have you. And Will, just tell us before I get started just a little bit about how long you've been practicing school law and where Cooper Levinson is.
0: Sure, Ray. So I've been practicing school law for 22 years after graduating from Columbia Law School. I started out in a small firm with my father and my sister in Hamilton, New Jersey, which is the blueberry capital of the world uh, and where I reside um, my sister went on the bench, my father passed away I moved over to Cooper Levinson I've been chairing the education law department there For, oh my goodness, 14 years now So we represent school districts Both on a full-time as well as on a assigned council basis So uh, we do everything for them We attend meetings We uh, appear in court, federal, state Office of Administrative Law, Commissioner of Education uh, Department of Education, the federal level Uh, I've argued before every court in the state of New Jersey um, and every court in the federal system except the United States Supreme Court. So um, I really enjoy doing what we do. Yeah, well, maybe, hopefully not, actually, because I'd hate (laughs) to be there and and on the wrong side of an issue. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a really enjoyable practice, and uh, hopefully we can talk about some real-world experiences that school districts face uh, today, especially in a very knotty issue with regards to balancing the rights of students, which you always want to make sure that you are ensuring uh, that their rights are protected, but also taking into account the rights of the other students in the classroom or on the playing field or where have you uh, to have a, and receive an education to which they're entitled?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, um, just my opinion, but I think maybe sometimes the freedom of speech is maybe our most cherished uh, uh, right. right. Uh, it's brought up all the time. I can say what I want to say, but there are some common, there are guidelines that it's not absolute, even for students or and other people. Um, where do I mean, where's the framework for our, the guidelines that you as an attorney follow? I think it's the case going back to Tinker, if you want to explain that.
0: Sure. So, uh, as you said, it's one of the most important rights guaranteed by our Constitution. Uh, Is embodied in the First Amendment. It's the freedom of speech. And uh, in the Late 60s, a case, uh, Tinker v. Des Moines, came about with students who were wearing armbands in protest of the Vietnam War. Uh, this is generally considered, when you're wearing something that expresses opinion, generally considered passive political speech, uh, insofar as you are not articulating, you're not demonstrating, but rather you are wearing something that is really you know, subject to interpretation by whoever's viewing you. So as passive political speech, uh, the students were uh, discipline. They appealed that up to the United States Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, no, they had the right to wear those armbands. And in fact, uh, one of the most quoted uh, opinions in school law is from the Tinker decision, where it's, it can hardly be argued that either students or teachers said their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Now, even in that opinion, however, the Supreme Court recognized that's not without limits. That is, if a school district can demonstrate that there would be generally a material and substantial disruption uh, to the ability to deliver educational services to the other students, um, then maybe speech can be either uh, censored or students can be disciplined for it. Um, And since the Tinker decision, there have been a number of decisions uh, recognizing other exceptions to that general rule but the general rule is in particular with regards to passive speech and in particular with regards to perhaps unstructured areas whether it be in a lunchroom whether it be before school or after school uh, whether it be not in a curricular classroom settings uh, per se uh, that students enjoy a very wide array of rights to express themselves with freedom of expression so uh, some of those exceptions that have developed from the United States Supreme Court, uh, first and foremost is students uh, are not allowed to or can be uh, disciplined for engaging lewd and obscene speech. Uh, that's the Fraser case that gets uh, refer- referred to often. In Fraser, a student was nominating another student for uh, the opportunity to uh, fill a position, and he used a very elaborate sexual metaphor in his speech uh, in nominating the student. And he was disciplined and it made its way up to the supreme court interestingly enough the speech itself and the speech is reprinted in the supreme court's opinion speech itself does not contain one of the seven dirty words you're not allowed to say according to george carlin on uh you know television (laughs) it does not it does not include anything scatological or uh clearly uh what we would consider to be pornographic or anything along those lines it is a metaphor and um it makes its way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, no, the school district could uh, could discipline the student for this. It was lewd. It was patently offensive. It meant the definition of obscene. Now, the case is you know almost three decades old. I don't know if that would meet the definition of what we believe to be obscene nowadays, but it's very interesting. Uh, I, I have the opportunity to teach at Rutgers Law School uh, education, law, and practice, and uh, when we review that case, the students... And my law students are always you know very surprised that this is what was considered obscene, but it was an elaborate sexual metaphor, and the court ultimately ruled that uh disciplining the student in that matter uh was uh permissible um uh, and then I just with, want to go, it. go ahead
1: I just want to go on uh, you had said before that uh it's kind of passive um would be like something uh where they have a lot of freedom. You know, NFL players now maybe take a kneel, join arms. This is you know at a say a sporting event. It doesn't have to be a football game, but can a the student then use express their rights by kneeling, doing that, uh,
0: that? Right. Event? So, so that, that that there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity in that question. And uh, first and foremost, let me put out there, you know, as as someone who you know is involved in the law, involved in constitutional issues, you know, in day-to-day from the mundane to the, you know, very uh, extraordinary, um, you know, I, I believe that, you know, and, and, and I have, you know, great respect for, you know, standing for the flag, standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. But the question is, that what if, does a student have the right not to? And in with regards to requiring that a student... Uh, demonstrate respect to the flag. Back in the 1940s, uh, in the Barnett decision, the Supreme Court came down clearly that no, as long as the students are not disruptive, they are not required to, and that was a, a, with regards to the Pledge of Allegiance, not required to engage in. Uh, Reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. In that case, there was a religious objection that was expressed by the students. But in addition, if you read the Barnett decision, it's not just about religious uh, freedom, it's also about freedom of ideas, uh, freedom of expression. And interestingly enough, that's in the context of a classroom, and that's in the context of attending school every day. And that's in the context of compulsory education laws, which require that a student attend schools that we have established or receive an equivalent instruction elsewhere. When you get to the athletic events, I think students probably still have the right to not engage in that uh, and to, to take a knee. And I think a school district would, I think, be better suited to using that perhaps as a teachable moment. Uh, Interestingly enough, in New Jersey, there are several reported cases where it was not disruptive and did not lead to material substantial disruption. Um, But a football game or a sporting event, that that starts to get a little farther away from Barnett and closer to some other cases uh, because you are at that point – representing the school district. You're wearing the school district's uniform. You can only be on that field as, a, as being associated with the school district. So the school district, I think, has a greater ability to, in some manner, and I wouldn't suggest that they should, but in some manner, uh, implement more non-burdensome rules with regards to conduct, with regards to expression. Clearly, they could prevent you from expressing things you might be able to express outside the playing field, uh, because it might violate the rules and might otherwise run afoul of the regulations of the governing body. Cases that really deal with a school district uh, being able to have a greater uh, impact and input and 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 perhaps uh, determination as to student speech when they are dealing in curricular items or um, Or publications or other things that are put out by the school is from the Hazelwood case. In that case, a school principal removed two articles from a student newspaper, student produced newspaper. It was part of the curriculum, but it was also uh, produced as under the auspice and with the title of the school district. And the Supreme Court came down and said, you know, if a school district's going to editorialize or censor or take other action for educational reasons, the the articles didn't meet the journalistic standards that the principal thought were necessary. They did not sufficiently protect the privacy of the students involved. Then, yes, it's not for the courts to tell a uh, educational institution how it should run its curricular program or how it should have published something that has its name on it. So, um, while well, I do think students probably have the right to, you know, kneel or in a non-disruptive uh, fashion, you know. Create some type of uh, demonstration or 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 what have you with regards to the national anthem. I think again at that at that point, you know, that's when we are normally talking to clients. Like, well, do you really want to make this a legal issue, or do you want to make an educational opportunity uh, to really talk about, you know, the 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 rights that are associated with doing that.
1: Hmm. So. Um I just want to keep following up on, you know, cause, you know, when, particularly in the high school, you have school plays and you have the school newspaper, and students might be doing an artistic, uh, maybe a painting or whatever, uh, or photography class. They might be trying to express some artistic freedom, too. How does that kind of fit in there as well, uh, you know, uh, in terms of uh, censorship? I hate to use that word censorship.
0: But, yes, uh, it it it, it bothers me, right? Right, because I, I think as Americans we're so it's so uh, anathema to us. It's like the whole idea of censorship is anathema to us, and and that's really a a testament to how strongly and how strongly cherished the First Amendment is. I think by all Americans, we really, as a society, I hope that we really just appreciate just how. Precious that guarantee is of of freedom of expression and freedom of, you know, a freedom of uh, independence of thought and and that there is no orthodoxy of what you must believe, uh, so to speak. So in those areas where students are given a little more leeway uh, with regards to expression. Um, I think the most important component there is to one if you 're going to take any action with regards to you know uh, disallowing a student uh, any type of expression, one make sure it 's for educational reasons. you know make sure that it 's educationally based. this doesn 't meet the standards of this artistic expression this doesn 't meet the standards of uh, what we 're trying to accomplish, especially in a curricular class, if it 's in a journalism class, if it 's in an actual art class. I think the teacher has much greater uh, leeway. However, while at that time they're not creating, and we haven't talked about this, but in First Amendment uh, uh, legal framework, we talk often about forums, what's an open forum, what's a limited open forum. And while you may not be creating a limited open forum, you should, as, any, as an educator, as a school district, as someone advising them, be very wary of viewpoint discrimination. That is um, – and I think the best way that I, I can try and describe it is you shouldn't be trying to stop somebody from producing something simply because you disagree with the idea that's contained in it. Uh, because if you would allow the opposite of that idea to to be presented, you are probably engaging in viewpoint discrimination. And the Supreme Court, I think, has said, uh, as murky as they've made some of the area of this law, they have said it with great clarity, viewpoint discrimination is absolutely disallowed. You may not uh, discipline students, you may not, uh, uh, censor speech based on its viewpoint if you're allowing speech on that same subject matter. So when it comes to plays, I think the school has the right to decide what play it's going to produce and not produce a play. Uh, our Third Circuit said that in a case uh, from many years ago called Say Free vs. Walton. Um, it has a right to editorialize within the license that it acquires of a play for age appropriateness. You know, a School districts can Absolutely, take into account the age of the students, the maturity level, the themes that are involved. Um, it just can't, like I said, generally engage in any type of viewpoint discrimination or use those types of things as a means to any other type of of censorship. Uh, Hazel, was uh, us no. that? Okay, mm-hmm? I just want to uh,
1: just uh, I would just want to do a quick follow up on that one. But before I do, I just want to tell anyone who's listening uh, if they want to call or ask a question. I'm talking with Will Donio. Or, partner in uh, Cooper Levinson Law Firm uh, in South Jersey, just dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press 1 and that will let us know that you have a question, or you can just type the question in the chat room and I'll pass it on to Will. Uh, you were talking about the viewpoint, I think recently, um, I think it was last year, uh, uh, in the yearbook, someone had, a, a student had a Trump t-shirt on and they kind of censored it out of the yearbook. Uh, would that be a case where that maybe the school district? And I think this was done, if I remember correctly, it was more done by the advisor. I don't know if that, had, you know, was their decision. Uh, is that a
0: example of maybe censoring someone's viewpoint? Uh, yeah, season. I, I yeah, absolutely, and, and that was a real head scratcher. I mean, I think in the educational law community, uh, lawyers, uh, and and practitioners were were when we read that, said, you know, it's like what were, what what was somebody thinking when they did that? I mean, that just that seems to scream viewpoint discrimination, and you know, and here's the oh. thing, you also can't use that material and substantial disruption. I often hear that, especially in political environments, that well, I'm afraid of the material and substantial disruption. What you need to to also ensure is that you are not allowing what 's called a uh, and it 's a term used by the the court the heckler 's veto to allow you to to um, censor speech which otherwise should not be censored, so the idea of heckler 's veto is that somebody says something that 's you know constitutionally protected speech, but the response from the audience is so uh, pronounced it 's so uh, it's confrontational. It's so argumentative or, or, or disruptive that not the speech, but the response makes you say, you know what, maybe I want to stop this person from, quote-unquote, provoking others. And that happens a lot in the hmm. political context. And that actually is absolutely impermissible. And we see that you – know, you see that happening, I think, on college campuses, and uh, there's been some very highly reported ones. Speakers are being invited, and people go to disrupt the speaker. And I think the Supreme Court has said, and I think they said it pretty loudly and clearly, and I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten more prominence, that that's not okay. It's not okay to stop a speaker because of the reaction – that the audience might have it. Rather, the obligation is to protect the speaker and their constitutionally protected speech because otherwise you're just letting the heckler veto that idea. And that's where that term comes from, the heckler's ability to stop somebody from engaging in otherwise uh, permissible speech. So the T-shirt case, you know, I, if I read correctly and I, I don't represent that school district and I was not involved in that – if I read correctly, the school district, you know, reprinted the yearbooks. So that, that that shouldn't have happened, and, and I think that that's one of those areas where you know a little bit of in servicing ahead of time and reminding people, like even if you disagree, if you disagree with what somebody's wearing or what have you, unless it's a material, substantial disruption that you can't address by any other means, and uh, you have a a real and um, and real incredible belief that that will result in that substantial material disruption, uh, then you really should be allowing the speech and then using this again as a teachable moment for the people who are perhaps offended or, or otherwise not receptive to that speech by saying, okay, but do you understand the, uh, the whole idea that I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend your right to say it, you know, uh, which is often attributed to Voltaire. And is really is a good uh, analysis for you know, getting people to understand that you just can't censor speech because of the viewpoint that it expresses.
1: Uh, and I guess I'm going to just follow up. You said one thing about an in-service. It might be a good thing, I guess, on a periodic basis, or I should say on a regular basis, that uh, those staff members who are involved in yearbooks and newspapers and uh, coaches and all that, might it might be a good in-service to talk to them about this on a, kind of a regular basis. Uh uh, so that they don't censor something that they m- maybe shouldn't, or maybe they let something go that they m- have some more rights on.
0: Right, right. So they have no obligation to put up with lewd or vulgar, obscene uh, material, and we see that every so often by students who uh, are are cagey enough to maybe slip things into pictures or or use you know uh, elaborate statements that uh, you know are anagrams for maybe other things that maybe they shouldn't say. Also, Mm -hmm. school districts uh, do not have, in any manner have to put up with speech that advocates uh, illegal drug use. Uh, That's from the Morse decision, which is the most recent Supreme Court decision on uh, student speech. Uh, Morse v. Frederick there, a student, uh, was engaged in with other students unfurling a banner that said, Bong hits for Jesus. And the court said, you know, that that speech, the students could be uh, disciplined for that speech because it it could reasonably perceived as advocating drug use. So drug use, the use of alcohol, uh, violence, uh, these are things that the school district does not need to uh, allow to to occur. But you need to make sure that that's exactly what that speech is. Uh, Our Third Circuit in the most recent case, B H versus Easton, regarding uh, bracelets that were "I Heart" and the word "boobies," you know, really set up a framework of you know, lewd, obscene, or other speech, which uh, is clearly lewd or obscene, may be categorically uh, uh, disallowed, but ambiguous speech—if you really can't make out what it is—if it can be considered to advocate for uh, political or or other. Uh, uh, charitable or other uh, positive uh, types of uh, messages, you really need to do an analysis. And, you know, lewd and obscene, you really need to drill down to, is it truly looter obscene? Because uh, one of the things in the, in the, the I Heart Boobies case is uh, in sending out the, uh, the communication that these bracelets were going to be allowed, disallowed, the, the district itself used the term boobies. And I think the court took them a little bit to task on, you know, it's really very hard for you to justify to us that this word is obscene if you're using it in the memo you send out to the families and students about not using this word. So, you know, you, you really have to be very aware. I mean, at the very beginning of these analysis, it's important, I think, for school districts to maybe bring in some assistance and not just, you know, step back, see whether there is disruption, not just whether there's disruption to having to evaluate it or what have you. That being said, school districts don't have to put up, like I said, with lewd, obscene speech or speech that is, you know, advocating violence or, uh, you know, the use of illegal substances.
1: You know, well, we've been talking about things that go on in the school or at school events and things. Probably, maybe the biggest change I've seen in education and freedom, all these things, is the social advent of social media and that things are posted uh, online. Uh, so, if a student uh, At home uh, is posting something about, say, a teacher. I've heard of students even uh, kind of creating a false page for a staff member. Is there a line that they can cross, or uh, is it just complete freedom of speech because they're at
0: home and they're just talking about things uh, not at school? So for the school district to get involved, generally the school has to have to be involved. And what I mean by that is it has to somehow make its way to the school district, not by being brought in by the administration, but independently make its way into the school district and cause a disruption or otherwise interfere with the school day such that the other students are having their right to an education interfered. Um, and that's that's a good way of always thinking about that disruption. I use that word all the time when I in service staff. I said one of the most important parts is disruption, disruption. Disruption, disruption, disruption. And uh, because generally we as a society, and this is again a, uh, obviously very much of a shorthand, our rights only extend until this part where we start infringing on the rights of others. And that's what that term material substantial disruption means. You talk about the students who did the fake My, uh, MySpace pages, uh, and these are two cases out of Pennsylvania uh, that went and made their way to the Third Circuit, Layshock and JS versus Blue Mountain. In both those cases, the students... Ability to create those false parody pages uh, was upheld, and the school district was found to not be in a position to discipline the students in school. Now, that's independent of the staff member's right to bring a claim for defamation or some type of you know, spoken, spoken defamation would be slander or something along those lines, um, but the school district, as a school district, generally has to show that there's been a material and substantial disruption in school, and it can't just be the material and substantial disruption uh, that occurs because the school had to look into it. I believe that those cases, if it's about a staff member on social media, they're hard to win. I think they're, they're generally not going to be able to show that much, though though there are exceptions to that. There are, especially those that allege you know, any type of violence or any type of imminent violence or anything along those lines. The courts have upheld the school district's ability to investigate and take action on it. Student-on-student student bullying, different issue. Because oh, yeah, I was going to say that's the next thing because that could really affect what happens yeah. in the classroom. Absolutely, and affect whether a student actually goes to class, whether a student doesn't want to change at gym, whether a student wants to eat lunch in the nurse's office versus at, in, the, in the cafeteria. There are cases, there are several very prominent cases where school districts uh, took action against students for off-campus behavior, including electronic communications, uh, in particular on social media, because they substantially disrupted in, this, in, the, in, the, in the classroom. New Jersey's uh, anti-bullying Bill of Rights, uh, which defines what harassment, intimidation, and bullying is, generally, in I'm paraphrasing the definition, includes, however, an electronic communication that's reasonably perceived as being motivated by a, a particular characteristic Uh, a protected characteristic, race, religion, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, perceived sexual orientation, disability, or any other distinguishing characteristic, which substantially disrupts the school day and can result in a student fearing for their safety or suffering emotional harm. So right in the definition of the HIB uh, language is the disruption idea. And that's that's why, again, when, we, when we're talking to staff, we're really saying, okay, define the disruption for us. Going all the way back to the Fraser case, even though that was a lewd, obscene case, it was a speech that was given, the court in its recitation of what occurred talks about the disruption that occurred in the assembly – with students hooting and hollering, and what have you. And the next day, teachers having to take time out of their class to, you know, deal with, you know, especially the emotional maturity of some of the freshmen and what have you in that high school, not understanding, you know, some of the things that were said and, and being very much uh, alarmed by it. So it's not just offensiveness. It's not just being upset by something. It has, actually has to show disruption. But Flip side of that, you don't have to put up with disruption uh, if you can show that it's it's real and material.
1: Okay, uh, we're getting fairly close to the close. Is there any other area that we haven't covered that I haven't mentioned? I, I was I, actually I did want to bring up one thing, uh, and because you kind of alluded to it, and I meant to get say uh, a student's giving a speech to class salutatorian, valedictorian. Uh, mm-hmm. Can and I know a lot of districts kind of review it ahead of time, Uh, student doesn't have the complete freedom there to say whatever they want. They still have to follow those same guidelines that we talked about earlier. Uh,
0: Yes, yes, with a but, no, with an F. I mean, yes, but, you know, those guidelines have to be reasonably related to educational reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's automatically going to be assumed that a graduation speech is going to bear that this is the message endorsed by the school district uh, where we see – and again, kids kids are clever, right? So we see that kids submit a speech and they will – practice that speech and then, you know, during graduation there's a different speech (laughs) and no one's aware of that speech. (laughs) And and then all of a sudden so what how can you do that? Well, you know, yes, I get it, provided that it's not lewd, obscene, or offensive, it's provided it's not disrupting the event. Our approach has been generally okay. However, you can, you know, take whatever action you deem appropriate, but you know let 's be very aware that we are not again engaging in viewpoint discrimination when you are allowing somebody to speak something you know think think about it this way if if, if a student's going to engage in a speech or in a performance or something if if you would allow the opposite viewpoint, then you 're probably going to be engaging in viewpoint discrimination if they 're going to take that time and disrupt the proceedings to speak about something that 's wholly. Inappropriate or irrelevant to, to the to what's occurring, then I think you can. Um, ultimately, I think they, these are very fact-sensitive uh, discussions. They're very fact-sensitive decisions, and um, you know, depending on the the parents, the students, whether they get support, uh, they can be very costly to litigate these matters. So I think, you know, setting guidelines ahead of time one of the most important things that we try and say to to staff is if you're going to have student produced work, okay, but it's under your guidance. You have the ability to really have a lot more input and and say as to what that work will be within certain guidelines. But don't have it be that You weren't checking periodically on something, and then all of a sudden it turned out to be offensive. You have an obligation to make sure that your guidelines are very clear, that students understand that you're using – this is part of the curriculum, that you are using curricular materials, that you are using curricular and school district resources to do this. That's where you know anything that happens outside of school that's almost completely independently done by a student, the school district really is not going to be able to have much to say about that at all unless, again, it disrupts in the school it targets a student, it, 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 it maligns students, and makes them have their day disrupted. But when you start to get closer to this is really looking as if it's school-produced work, that's when the school district has a much greater ability to exercise editorial control.
1: Okay, well, that brings us to the conclusion of, of this program. Will I like to thank you? And I guess the one thing that you you kind of mentioned several times would be a little a district should be a little proactive in their in
0: service with with the teachers, and teachers should be proactive with the students. Uh, one other the, thing I just wanted to mention, Ray, too. Okay, so we talked about kneeling, we talked about not standing, we talked about not getting to court. You do have to stand when the judge walks in. Okay, that that's 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 where you got you know. <laughs> That that's where you're really you know that that and and it's interestingly enough as we were as I was thinking about this there is some case law that if there is a religious objection to actually standing in court you, you know and you and you articulate it to the court that that's not contemptuous conduct so the courts themselves recognize that you know the most important part of freedom is to understand that it can't be compelled you can't compel ideas you can't compel respect you can't compel these things but we should be able to teach them. And that's really one of the most important functions of the public schools is to to really, you know, demonstrate both by word and deed these values that we hold so dearly.
1: Okay, thank you. That brings us to the conclusion. I'd like to thank Will Donio from Cooper and Levinson
0: for discussing this uh,
1: very timely topic, the First Amendment right of students. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Ray. Okay, that brings us I uh, hope everyone enjoyed this program. And that brings us to the end.